Hey, good morning again, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Those of you watching online or at one of our home church locations, we're so glad you're tuning in. I hope you realize that you're not here by accident. Sure, if you're watching online, you might have just been scrolling through or your finger accidentally clicked that unmute button, but that was no happenstance. God absolutely has something that He wants to communicate to you today, and so we're glad you're participating in this service. No matter where you are, the good news is, is God's Word can reach you. He is with you, no matter if that's on a laptop a phone, or live in person. God's word will not return void. If you're a guest with us, a special welcome to you as well. I know making the decision to participate in church isn't always an easy one, so we're glad you chose to spend your time with us, particularly on this Father's Day. And and nothing says Father's Day like meat right? And so I hope you got a package of beef sticks on your way in, or you can get some on your way out or at your home church location. Hopefully your leaders got those to you for all the men. If you're just watching online, um, let us know. We can probably get you some beef sticks, but please enjoy those responsibly. Side effects may include joy, relaxation, peace, comfort, and overall happiness. So there's that. But before we dive in, I thought I might point out the fact that when the coronavirus mandates all came down from the government in April and May, we were under the impression that we weren't going to be able to get together as a church again until July. And so Laura and I front-loaded our vacation schedule here in June so that when things went live, we could be here, boots on the ground with all of you. But then the government kind of just did a 180, and they were like, a few weeks ago, just do whatever you want. We don't care anymore, just have at it. And so that kind of mixed up our plans, and so I apologize that we're not with you here physically today, but uh, I'm looking forward to spending some time on this Father's Day with my dad and with my family here on a brief vacation, but we will be back with you next week, and I'm looking forward to that as well. That being said, we're closing out our One Hit Wonder series today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. You can open it it up to the very back. There will be some maps back there and then a concordance and a dictionary and then there will be the book of Revelation and keep turning left. You'll get to the book of Jude. It's a one chapter letter written by Jesus's brother and Jude is a fascinating individual because despite being related to Jesus, he didn't believe Jesus was the son of God for 33 years, right up until the point that he witnessed Jesus die and then raise from the dead. And the moment that Jesus showed up and began having a conversation with Jude, he started to believe. Jude's attitude changed, just like it will when Jesus speaks to your heart. And just like Jude, you can be instrumental in shaping the Christian faith when God resurrects you. 
But furthermore, this letter that Jude wrote is compelling because he's writing to a group of Christians to inspire them. He wants to motivate them to remain strong in their faith. And he starts out by saying, hey, friends, I wanted to write to you to encourage you about the salvation that we all share. But then I found out that there's some weird stuff happening in your church. And there are some folks who are teaching the gospel in a way that it was not intended to be taught. And so the first couple of the paragraphs that Jude writes and and the very first week of this message series was a reminder that we need to contend for the gospel of Jesus. It was a reminder that this good news of Jesus teaches us that we've all lived in such a way that we've fallen short of the holy, righteous, and perfect standard that God set forth. Uh, We know that none of us have lived perfect lives, but Jesus is the bridge between us and God. Jesus is the bridge between us falling short and us reaching the bullseye. And when we keep that message at the forefront of our lives, we understand that Jesus isn't trying to keep anything from us. He's trying to lead us into fullness of life. And Jude says the problem with all that is there's some counterfeits who have wormed their way into church leadership and they've given you slivers of the real gospel, but ultimately they're taking you down a path that you don't want to go. And last week we talked about the way of Cain. Cain is a character in the Bible who thought that he could come to God however he wanted. And as long as he was sincere, he would be fine. But that's not true. It's a dangerous lie. It's why Jesus said in John fourteen six that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jude asks us to not believe the lie that all paths lead to God because it's false, but it's not the only counterfeit out there. Jude says not only do you need to be aware of people who are like Cain, but you also need to be aware of people who talk like Balaam. Uh, Balaam was a man who thought the point of following God was for financial gain. He thought as long as he did the things that God commanded him to do, that he would become rich. It's the same deception that many Americans believe today. And if I just give, and if I just pray, and if I just have enough faith, then God's going to make my life easy. Which the problem with that, uh, aside from the Bible, is that every one of Jesus' disciples And many of the people who have followed Jesus since the time that he rose from the dead, they've died horrible deaths. Like just so we could be gathered here today and read from this book, men, women, and children were burned alive. They were fed to lions. They were murdered in the Colosseum. So Jude reminds us to not believe the sham that your life is about comfort. No, it's about surrender. And if you'll really study the New Testament, one of the common themes that you'll read is the early followers of Jesus counted it joy to be considered worthy enough to suffer like Christ did. Jesus' other brother, James, he writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of various kinds. 
So we don't get to come to God however we want. We come to Him through Jesus. And we don't come to Him to make our life better. We come to Him to make our life complete. And finally, Jude reminds his readers and ultimately us today that uh, we shouldn't fall into the snare of Korah's rebellion. And Korah is a guy who in Numbers 16 was uh, part of this group of slaves that was rescued by Moses out of Egypt. And he leads a rebellion by coming up to Moses and he's like, who, who made you king of the world, Moses? Like, what makes you so special? I can do what you're doing. And it's what happens in many churches, because when you start preaching the Bible, there's bound to be a little bit of conviction that happens with that. And when pastors start shining a light on those dark places in your heart, nobody wants that, including the pastors, by the way. I get convicted just as much as anybody else does. But the problem is when you don't start liking that conviction, you start looking for flaws in the leadership. And like Korah, you start saying, well, they didn't do this. And he didn't do that, and she should have been here for that. And if they did this, and if he would, and so Jude writes, starting in verse sixteen, these people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves, and they flatter others to get what they want. But you, my dear friends, but you, my dear friends. In contrast to those grumblers and complainers, but you must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. But you, dear friends, you starting to see a pattern? But you, dear friends, in contrast to those people, don't follow your natural instincts. Instead, you must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. Hmm. Isn't that remarkable? The fact that this was written 2,000 years ago, and as we take a look around at our world today, could it be any more similar to scoffers who create division? My goodness, we are more divided in this country than at any point in our nation's history, and I feel like if there's any one thing we need to be committed to, as a church, as a group of believers, as a family, it's unity. And listen, listen, hear me. I'm not asking you to believe everything I believe. I'm asking you to do what Jude asked you to do and build each other up and pray for one another. I wonder when is the last time you prayed for the leadership in this church? It's not just me, by the way. Sure, my job is the probably the most public, but it's definitely not the most important. I mean, today is a perfect example. I could live out my calling on video, but many of you, if you wouldn't have shown up to church today, 
Like if the production people wouldn't have shown up to church today and put the video on the screen, and if the uh, the hospitality people wouldn't have started brewing that sweet nectar of life in the copy, I mean, there would have been a revolt. And if the band wouldn't have showed up, and if the kids ministry people wouldn't have shown up, and if the welcome people wouldn't have shown up, and uh, the setup team wouldn't have got here early to turn on the AC, you see what I'm saying? We need each other. But the trick of the enemy is to find petty differences that we can divide over. I guess let me explain it this way. Maybe this will help. The Great Wall of China. You've heard of it. You've seen pictures of it. It's nearly 5,000 miles in length. In many places, it's up to 25 feet high. Uh, you can have five horsemen riding across side by side. It was literally thousands of years in the making and so well thought through that the upper uh, stories, they slope inwards so that when water drains off, it drains to the inside and grows the grass on the inside of the wall so that you couldn't hide in foliage on the outside of the wall. And most conservative estimates say construction began in the 4th century B.C. Think about that. If you know your Bible, you're 2,000 years before Abraham when the wall started being built. That's a long time ago. Now that's somewhat misleading because the wall as we know it, as, we, as we've seen it on TV and in uh, video and pictures, it was started in 1200 AD during the Ming Dynasty. But the reason I want you thinking about this feat of engineering is because what are military walls typically used for? To keep the good guys in, and the bad guys out, right? And when you have a heavily fortified wall stretching for thousands of miles, like picture driving across Kansas 10 times, that's the wall we're talking about. And when you have a wall like that, it's not enough just to leave the wall alone. An unmanned wall is no defense at all. And for quite literally centuries, millions of Chinese protected their homeland by defending the wall. However, Genghis Khan and the Mongols eventually got through. You know how? They bribed the guards, paid them off. Uh, they couldn't tear down the wall, so paid off the guards. Matter of fact, Genghis Khan is alleged to have said the strength of a wall depends on the courage of those who defend it. Same thing is true in your spiritual life. Same thing is true in the life of a church. God has built some walls for us to defend, and God is asking us to be unified in our defense for the sake of the strength of the wall. Uh, the wall is only as, as strong as the people defending it. So write this down in the list chat. Distraction often leads to destruction. Distraction often leads to destruction. It's what happened to the Great Wall of China during the Mongols' invasion. And if our enemy invades, which there are three enemies, uh, most people like to attribute everything to the devil, but the devil's not your only enemy. The Bible makes it clear that culture, the world, the world is also an enemy. Your flesh, 
Uh, it's also your enemy. Those are our three enemies, the devil, the world, and your flesh. But if our enemy invades, their best offense is to distract you because distraction will lead to destruction, except that's really not any new news to anybody, right? I mean, you know that you shouldn't get distracted. You know that you shouldn't text and drive. And when you hit those little waves on the shoulder, you tell your kids, oh, we're just surfing, kids. You know, it's the only surfing we can do in Kansas. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're like, I paid taxes on both sides of the road. You know, I'm just trying to get my full benefit. But how many times have you been distracted? And it would have led to destruction had it not been for God's grace in keeping you safe. And Jude is writing this group of believers, and in a very real way, he's saying to us today, hey, there's a better way than just hoping these distractions won't lead to your destruction. And he's writing, you need to be aware of these people in life, because there's going to be these people, these individuals who are grumblers and complainers, and they're going to look spiritual, and they're going to sound spiritual, but in reality, they are only after something that they want. And because of that, I need to ask you to do something difficult. Jesus says, I need to ask you to be attentive. I'm writing you to implore you to resist the temptation to become distracted and ultimately divided. Jude says, I need you to be bold and courageous and notice something out of place because my hope is you're not too preoccupied with yourself when the walls depend on us. And in order to defend the walls, we need to encourage each other and build each other up and pray for one another. That's verse 20. See, Jude is saying it's hard to resist what you don't recognize. And you need to recognize that not everybody who is spiritually mature is spiritually pure. So you need to pay attention to what God says is important not what the world says is important. And according to Jude, building each other up and praying for one another is what's most important. Now the question becomes, okay, how? Like, how do we do that? Because sure, I see that distraction leads to destruction and grumblers and complainers are a problem. And yeah, it's pretty clear from the text that we need to build each other up and pray for one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. So tell us, preacher... How do we do those things? How do we avoid becoming distracted so that we can avoid becoming destructed and divided? Well, two things for us to consider. First off, we need to focus on what ties us together so that we'll never fall apart. Jot that down. Focus on what ties us together and we'll never fall apart. Jude says, build each other up. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep unity. Sounds pretty similar. Sounds like a pretty unified message across multiple years and across multiple different authors. But I wonder, how much effort are you putting in to keeping the unity of your marriage? How much effort are you putting in to keeping the unity at your job? How much effort are you putting into keeping the unity of your neighborhood and in your church and in your community and in your parenting? And, oh, you'll find exactly what you're looking for. And if you're looking for those times when your spouse has let you down, you'll find them. And if you're looking for the flaws in your boss, you'll find them. 
And if you're looking for imperfections in me, you'll find a lot of them. I've told you before that your feelings will follow your focus. So we need to start focusing on what binds us together. I would challenge you if there's some discontentment in your life, you would ask yourself, what's it there for? Because listen, listen, not all discontentment is bad. Not all frustration are unnecessary. Sometimes God puts those things, discontentment and frustration into your life so that you can help somebody else. Because when you focus on what ties us together, maybe they lost sight of what it was. And God is using your frustration and discontentment to help somebody else refocus. It's why I titled my message, Teamwork is What Makes the Dream Work. Because we need each other. And we need each other to build up what Christ died for. Yet what worries me about the social media world that we live in and the entitlement age that we live in and the clickbait world we live in and the outrage world we live in is nobody has the courage to have a conversation anymore. We're too worried about getting likes. It's too convenient to remain anonymous. And what's Jude say about that? He says, these people are the ones who are creating divisions says, don't do that. Look, we don't have to agree on everything to appreciate one another. But we should absolutely, as brothers and sisters in Christ, be willing to have a conversation. It's why you'll never hear me criticize a church that I've never had a conversation with. Because that creates unnecessary division. And we have enough of that. So instead, let's have the courage to say to our minority brothers and sisters, what do I need to do to understand your situation? Because I can't walk in your shoes, but I can walk next to you. And it's why we need to have the courage to ask our spouses, how can I help build you up? And our children, how can I help encourage you and our friends and our teachers and our bosses and our government officials? Look out. Even the Democrats, particularly, no, I'm kidding. Even the Republicans, everybody. Hey, is there anything that I can do to help unify, make every effort to create unity in the world around us? We should ask, is there anything that I'm doing to harm the mission of God that would allow me to love you as Christ loved us first? How about instead of grumbling and complaining, we have the courage to point out when people do something good? I just think the world's got enough critics. You know what it needs more of? Encouragers. What if we could start assuming the best in people? What if we could catch people doing something good and then not rob them of the blessing by saying nothing? Like what if we could tell people good job? I've never once felt worse off about myself by finding somebody doing something good and saying, hey, that was awesome. Good job. Good work. But I get it. It's hard. It's hard for me too. It was hard for some of the greatest people in the Bible. Elijah one day said to God, I'm the only one left. There's nobody out here doing anything good anymore. And God's like, quit being so dramatic. I have like 7,000 people over here that are still serving me. So no, that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to focus on what tears us apart. We're going to focus on what ties us together. And Jude knows that's not easy. 
It's why the very next sentence he writes, in addition to building each other up, we've got to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way we're going to have the strength to do the first thing. And here's how you can write it down. Focus on praying with people, not just for people. Focus on praying with people, not just for people. As Christians, we typically say, oh, I'll be praying for that. If somebody tells us something, we're like, oh, I will, I'll pray for you. But how about in an effort to stay attentive and not be distracted? What if we ask the question, can I pray with you instead of saying, I'll be praying for you? See, one of the things I think we forget as Christians is we may pray in solitude, but we never pray alone. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that Jude is talking about. And the point of his letter is unity. So I'm guessing that he wants us praying in the power of the Holy Spirit with one another. Look at what Paul writes on the subject. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's called power. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. You see what the Holy Spirit's doing? He's building us up. He's coming alongside us. And the excuse that many people use is, oh, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know how to pray for this person. And the Bible just said, you don't have to. The Holy Spirit knows what to pray for. We're just commanded to pray. It causes me to think in our world, prayerlessness might be our greatest sin. Prayerlessness reveals who you really think is in charge. And more often than not, we believe in ourselves more than we believe in the power of God. No, we're weak. We're distracted. If we're not careful, we can become divided. It's why we need a team so that our distraction won't lead us to destruction. So we're going to be a people that prays not just for each other, but we're going to be a people that prays with one another. As many of you know, I just got back from a backpacking trip in North Carolina, and it was put on by a retired Navy SEAL named Chad. And Chad was telling us about some of the basic training that he had to do in order to become a SEAL. It's called BUDS. I'm sure many of you have heard of it or seen the videos on TV. But one of the things that I found interesting about Chad's perspective and the things that he was telling us about how he got through was uh, one night he and the cadets were sitting in the surf of the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean. And they're sitting on the beach and bordering on hypothermia. It's nighttime. They're cold. They're locked arms. They're shivering. And he remembered looking to his left and looking to his right and thinking, they're going through the exact same thing I'm going through. Like this dude understands this sucks just as much as I understand this sucks. And so he committed to, in his mind, being the guy who just was positive from that day forward. He understood that he didn't have to be the guy who's like, man, it sure is cold out here, right? No, instead, he was going to change his attitude. And he was going to be the guy who said, you know what? I'm going to shift my thinking into, it's not cold out here. It's hot. It's warm. It's sunny. This is an easy day. It's probably why Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.5 writes, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Here's my point. Here's what I want you to write down. Negative thoughts will never lead to a positive life. Negative thoughts will never lead to a positive life. If you're distracted, 
If you're not focused on what ties us together, if you're not praying with people, you're not going to enjoy the positive life that God has set before us in the family that God has set before us. So let me point out something real fast before we're done. Jude writes in verse 20, But you, dear friends, you don't follow your natural instincts. Instead, you must build each other up and pray for one another. You see what he's saying? He's saying your natural instinct is not to build one another up. Your natural instinct is not going to be to pray for one another. Your natural instinct is not going to be to have positive thoughts. Therefore, it's a conscious decision you have to make every single day. Because negative thoughts will never lead to a positive life. Which is why we have to take those thoughts captive. See, some of you right now, at some point during this message, you might have thought to yourself, I wonder if he's talking about me. And you might have thought to yourself, I wonder if he was thinking about me while he was even preparing this. And I assure you, I was not. God has to preach this to me before I can preach it to you. That is to say, anytime I'm preparing, I'm wondering what's going on in my heart first. But let me just commit to you that I want us to be a church that's known by what we're for, not what we're against. And I want us to be known as a church that's positive, not negative. I'll just remind you again that what we're for is bringing people into a saving relationship with Jesus. We're for people. We're for building them up in that faith. We're, we're for equipping them in ministry. We're for sending them out on a mission to change the environment where God has placed them. In fact, we're so for those things that one of our friends is getting ready to plant a church in Lyons, Kansas, and there are people leaving this church in order to go help that church because they know we're so for the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth that I would never tell somebody not to leave this place in order to go help another place. God's going to do what he's going to do here, and I'm just so for that. And if at any point you feel like New Anthem could be doing a better job, then don't follow your natural instincts. Instead, come have a conversation. Let's not be a people that grumbles and complains. Let's be a people that encourages one another and prays for one another. And as iron sharpens iron, we're going to be that. And in turn, we're going to change the world. We're going to be part of a move of God. And people are going to look at New Anthem and say, God must be there because I know Landon and he ain't capable of any of that. Amen, somebody. God, help us to that end to become a people unified in your purpose, to get the good news of your son Jesus to as many people in the world. You've entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. God, help us be reconcilers. Help us to get our eyes off of us and onto the lost and hurting people in the world around us. God, our nation's in turmoil. We're divided This is not your plan. This is not your purpose. Help unify us here in this place and help us be unifiers in the world around us and the neighborhoods around us in our jobs and our marriages. God, let it start with us. Help us be the change that we want to see in the world. God, we know we can't do this without the power of your Holy Spirit. And we can't do this without the... Uh, new life that is found in your son, Jesus. 
So if there's anybody listening to this message, God, if there's anybody here in the presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would just encourage them and challenge them and, and save their soul. God, that they would believe in the power of new life because of what Jesus did on a cross and that he rose from the dead and that you've promised us a new life when we trust in your son, Jesus. God, give us courage, give us strength, give us power. Help us be world changers. Don't let us be content. Don't let us be complacent. Don't let us look around and say, man, we've, we've made it. Now, God, always help us fight for unity and strength and your gospel. Let us never lose sight of the fact that Jesus served us, so we need to serve one another. Help change our mindsets, those people that are having negative thoughts, God. Let them take those thoughts captive so that they can have a positive life and find fullness of life that's only found in you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' powerful name. Amen.